Corinthians chapter 2. Have you all enjoyed this series? Yeah, I, uh, I have a whole lot. I wish I wrote it. God wrote it. Philippians chapter 2. All right, so the nature of the beast in this service and this sermon is that um, we actually took the same sermon, the same concept, or the same package of concepts and broke it up over two weeks. And so I want you all to, to go like this. Look at your, take your hand like this on your brain, okay, and go like this real quick. Okay, because we have got to get rolling. And what I've got to do is I need to set us up so that we know kind of where we're at and flowing into what we're going to talk about in depth today, okay? So what that means, I'm going to spend a few minutes reviewing for us, and we need, everybody needs to be right on the same page so that we know right where, uh, right where we're going to begin at in this thought and this process of thinking, because this is really crucial, um, well, it's crucial to, uh, to every part of our life. And let me just say this, that this series... If there is never anything else that we do that you go back and study and look at again and again, let this be the only thing that you do, okay? Like I, I would say that this series that we're talking about is single-handedly the most important thing for you as a believer to understand, to know, to have memorized, to have it deep within your heart because it infiltrates and affects everything else that we do in life and in church and in sermons and in studying God's Word. The gospel infiltrates everything, even the Old Testament and our understanding of the Old Testament because everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to the gospel, Everything in the Old Testament, guys, it wasn't God had the Old Testament and then this was his, his backup plan, the gospel. It was the gospel was setting everything up to the apex of the gospel. That was the plan all along. It wasn't, oh, this didn't work, so we're going to do this. It was the plan from the beginning. The gospel infiltrates everything. We call that having a Christocentric view of Scripture. So everything, we see Christ in everything from the very beginning all the way to the very end. So, Philippians 2, the, we kind of ended with this, and I said that works are not how we get to heaven, but they are necessary to salvation. Works are not how we get to heaven, but they are necessary to salvation. Now, let me say this, that this sermon and last week's sermon would set us apart substantially from many churches, even around this area. Um, because works, we are so afraid to tie works into our salvation that we end up with a bunch of worthless Christians, a.k.a. lost, okay? I'm just, it's just the way it is, you know, whether I hurt someone's feelings or not. We end up with people who think they're Christians that they're not, and when we do not see how works play a role in salvation. So, the key is this. Now, hear me very, very clearly. We can never do enough works or the right works or the right amount of them or with the right motivation or anything to ever get to heaven or be reconciled to God. So, works do not save us, but they are a necessary part of our salvation. A necessary part of our salvation. So let me define for you works. I think the most simple 
thing that I can, how I can define works for us is that works is the evidence of the effects or the evidence of the effect of the Spirit in your life. Evidence of the effect of the Spirit in your life or evidence of the indwelling of the Spirit in your life or the God taking up residence in your life. That is the evidence of that is that works. And the thing is, and I said this on Bible study last week, that if God takes up residence in your heart, it is necessary that he works in it. It's against his character, against his plan, against God's word that he would take up residence in your heart and not do something with it. That'd be like God taking Jesus all the way to the cross and not doing anything with it. Okay? Oh, well, I was going to pour my wrath out on you, but I kind of changed my mind. Like, no. When God takes residence, he does something with it. It's unnecessary. So, very, very quick overview. From the very beginning, we talked about that, that the gospel is about a person. It's not about a program or process. Then we talked about Jesus' call to us to be a disciple. Now, let me say this. All of us can go further in what Jesus demands of us. So when he says superior love, exclusive loyalty, total loss, we all know these terms very well. I'm not going to repeat them uh, or de- define them. But when he says that, look, look, everyone look right at me. Everyone, you can go further in what Jesus demands of you. None of you have arrived. I have not arrived. I can still give more of my love to Christ. I can still have more abandonment to myself and what I desire, I can still lose more for Christ. We still have more room to go in that. When we reach heaven and we, we experience glorification or when the salvation process is reached its goal or its destination, then we're there. But until then, so Jesus' call to us is the superior love, exclusive loyalty, total loss. And then we talk about in order to be a follower. That's what he demands of his followers. But what has to happen in order to be a follower is an act of God. And even to do these things of superior love is still an act of God. But initially, Jesus says to Nicodemus that we have to be born again. And we looked at what Jesus does in that pro, or what God does in that process, and that is he reveals our need, he changes our heart, he transforms our life, and he, or he enables our faith, and then he transforms our life. And the emphasis particularly in that sermon and this whole time has been God's act in this whole salvation process. And this whole and we're finally today gonna get to the very small part that we have in this gospel and its appropriation in our lives. A very small part. Someone asked me, well, what percentage of the gospel and our salvation is our part? And I said, 2%, but 100% is God's. So you do the math. Uh, it's, it's not 102%. It's, it's 100% God's responsibility, but 2% of that 100% is, is ours. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, that's okay. It just means trust God, okay? Uh, that's what it means. So God says, Jesus says, we have to be born again in order to experience the kingdom before we can even be a follower of his. Then we got in the past two weeks into this concept of working out our salvation. Working out our salvation. So this 
is still, once again, a necessary part of our salvation. I asked this question in Bible study. I said, who, when you think of salvation, what do you think of? And hands down, everybody thinks of the point that we were saved, the point that I prayed and reconciliation took place and God revealed my need and, and changed my heart and transformed my life and my belief. That's the point of salvation. Well, that is just one part of the total salvation process. So that's the initial, we called that like the change. Then we have the journey and then we have the destination, the destination being heaven. So today and last week, we're talking about the journey, the in-between part, not the heaven part and not the point that we initially got saved. We're talking about the process or the journey in between. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Philippians chapter 2. So we just went through salvation involves a change. Salvation, if you're looking at your outline, salvation involves a change. Salvation involves a journey. Salvation involves a destination. Thank you, Bob. Ah, much, much better. He read my mind. So, salvation involves a change, involves a journey, and involves a destination. The other thing is that I just want to briefly mention is that when it comes to involving a change, this is something that God does to us. God is the supreme or the primary actor even in the change part and in the destination part and in the journey in between. And again, it's important for us to understand all of this as we approach Philippians chapter 2. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, and I want to read verse 12 and 13. Again, Paul's talking about the journey. Paul's talking about the journey. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Basically, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Continue to. He's, he's telling the Philippians and to us today that we are to continue to work out this process, to work out our salvation. Um, so this idea that you can accept Christ and be saved... And for you not to be continually surrendering your life to Christ is an impossibility. Now, yes, we can have times in our life where we kind of fall back or we struggle. I mean, all that happens. Okay? But the idea that we can accept Christ and then there... Guys, let me, let me tell you something. And, and I hope this maybe even freaks some of you out. Uh, we can be saved. We can accept Christ and then have some change, some fake even change that happens in our life and still not be saved. And you're going, whoa, 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 that really scares me. That's okay. You wrestle with the Holy Spirit over that. The Bible talks very clearly about seed that falls on different types of soil and seed that falls, like that gets choked out by the roots as that's not persevering to the end. 
and our work will be completed because it's dependent upon God. But a, someone who gets saved and then falls off very, very quickly, there's a solid, solid chance that they were never saved in the first place. And, and that's something for us to work through and something for you personally to struggle through with God. Okay? So, Paul says to continue to work out your salvation. Philippians 1.27, basically he's just finishing a thought that he began in 1.27 where he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He is speaking to people who know the gospel, and he's saying that your life needs to be a reflection of the gospel. He's saying that to us today, that your life should be a reflection of the gospel, not simply I do good things or I love my little church or I I don't drink beer. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about your life shows the effects of the indwelling of the Spirit. So you and I can manufacture things that make other people think positively about us. But we cannot manufacture the effects of the Spirit in our lives. It is obvious. It is obvious. Your life is how the gospel is worked out day after day after day. And so based upon this and, and, and these aspects of salvation... Um, that we just talked about. We're going to look at, and what we started out last week was looking at three, three aspects or three foundational truths about salvation. Three, three foundational truths. Listen, 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 listen. Three foundational truths about salvation that is found in this passage, in these two little verses, there are three very awesome things that we need to know. They're foundational. They're vital for us to know about our salvation. And we started, we basically got through, all we got through last week was one of those. And we still have to get through number two and number three today. But just in quick review, number one was the grace of God undergirds every facet of of salvation. So the facet where you are changed, the facet in the journey, and the facet in the destination, all of that is undergirded by God's grace. So if we go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for, or literally because, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who is working out your salvation in your life. It's his grace that is helping, that is undergirding the working out of your salvation. And so... This grace of God, we said there was kind of three aspects to this grace that, uh, that we need to think of when we think of this grace and how it undergirds this process and undergirds every part of salvation. The first one is that grace is our message from cover to cover. Grace, the gospel or grace, this grace that we're talking about, we need this to know Christ. We need this to grow in Christ. The gospel is the means by where we were saved, and the gospel is the means by which we are being saved. And I said this, we cannot let the gospel back at the point where we receive Christ. We cannot. We have lots of people who are either 
worthless Christians doing nothing for the kingdom or lost because they left the gospel back at the point that they received Christ or thought they received Christ. A lot of us continue to struggle with sin in our life because we left the gospel back at the point that we were saved. We need the gospel's power to be saved, and we need the gospel's power as we are being saved. Side note, we talked about in this being saved that when we are originally, when we accept Christ, that we are declared righteous, but then as we live out this life, as we go through this journey of being saved, we are being made righteous. We were declared righteous. We are now being made righteous, and we will, that job will be completed when we reach heaven. Our hearts and souls, guys, will never grow tired of the gospel and its effect and change in our life. If you grow tired of the gospel, you're not saved, okay? Number two, grace is our master. So grace was our message to cover, cover. Grace is our master. Very quickly, by, by his grace, we are free from the penalty of sin and we are free from the power of sin. So grace becomes our master, not sin. Grace becomes our master. And the third thing was grace is our motivation. Remember, we're not motivated to do, to do these works for God. We're not motivated out of, a, out of owing God a debt. Because the moment we think that we repay him, we're undercutting the very essence of grace. So anyways, grace is God working our lives in a way that we do not deserve. And a matter of fact, any measure of grace that he gives us in our life, we do not deserve. Okay. We're not in debt to God. We are indwelt by God. And it's at this point that we begin really grasping when we begin to ask, well, what do I do then if it is God who works in me? Then what, what, what do I do? So if it's God who works in me, what, what is it that I do? And many people at this point, again, begin to say, well, I'm just going to let go and let God. So if it's all God, the point I was saved and, and this process of being saved, and if it's all God, well, I'm just going to kind of take my hands off and go, all right, God, um, you just do, and, and I'll just sit back. And, and the fact is, guys, passive Christianity is not what Paul is talking about here. And it's, we do not see anywhere in, New, in, New, in the New Testament this concept of just letting go and letting God. Even though it's become fairly popular, I'm just going to let go and let God know. God calls us to be active and working out our salvation. It is required. It's not an option. So that leads us to the second truth. So not only does grace, and this is what we see in this passage, that for it is God who works in us. For it is God's grace that makes every facet of salvation, even working out our salvation, possible. So it's undergirded by grace. The second thing that we see in this passage is that faith is the God-ordained link between His work and our work in salvation. Faith is the link that links His doing or His part in salvation and our part or our work in salvation. So here, here is where work comes in to the process. Now remember, by grace alone, through faith alone that we're saved, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not these works that, that get us into heaven. Even though there's lots of churches that teach that, that, that you can do enough, then, and if you just do all these things and visit so many people, you will do enough good to get to heaven. 
Or many people who don't go to church think, well, I'm a good person. And of course, they're comparing themselves to other people in the world. And the fact is, our standard of good is not the neighbor next to us or the person down the road or the murderer on TV. Our standard of good is God, of which we can never measure up to. So here's where the point of tension comes in. I ask you guys to read through Matthew chapter 7 and find the verse where Jesus deals with something that we're talking about this week. And that verse is Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. I hope you found that and I hope that that caused some major struggle in your heart over this past few days. Let's see what Jesus said. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. These are Jesus' words. These are not mine. Jesus' words. Jesus says that only those who do the will of my Father will enter into the kingdom. Does that cause anybody a little quirk in their heart? It should. Jesus just said that the, these works, the person who works and does the will of his Father, only that person will see the kingdom of heaven. Not just the person who says, Lord, Lord. It's a both and. So you can't work this without having been saved and calling upon the name of the Lord, but you will not reach heaven, but you can't just work, call upon the name of the Lord, and there not be any work that follows and still reach heaven. This is the point of tension. Jesus said this, obviously obedience to the Father's will is very important. Very important. Matter of fact, it even has something to do, again, with with us getting into heaven. And so, again, we're posed with the same question. Does works play a part in our salvation? And obviously, in some sense, they do. But again, we've seen time and time again that, that we can never do enough work to get to heaven. We can't do the right works to get to heaven. I've repeated that a thousand times. And we know that we are justified by faith and by faith alone. So the question then is, how do we reconcile these two together? How do we reconcile Jesus saying that not all that call upon says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only the one who does, or the, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. How do we reconcile that with the fact that we cannot work our way to heaven. Let's go to Philippians 2. We're going to go back there. We're going to read this a hundred times today. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let's set this up this way. This is an action, right? He's telling us to work out our salvation. He's saying this is an action. He's not saying just sit there and do nothing and let God do everything. He's saying to work out. He's giving us an action, a command to act. And this is something to do. 
So the question is, how how does this happen? How do we work this out? Verse 13 answers that. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, right here in this verse, this is so beautiful, guys. This is so, do not miss this. We see side by side God's work in salvation and our work in salvation. Right side by side in the same verse. Work out your own salvation for your children. For it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. How do we do this and at the same time it be the work of God? Faith is that answer. Faith is the link between these two things. Faith is the link between God's work and our work. Because Paul literally, guys, Paul is saying, when he says work out your salvation, he is literally saying create your salvation. Bring it to completion. Produce your salvation. These, and the Greek, this is what Paul is talking about. He's, saying, he's not just saying, yeah, you need to do cute little Christian acts. No, you are to work out your salvation, to, to bring it to completion. And so how do we do that? And faith, again, is, is the answer Let's, um, we have to be careful, because when we get to 12 and 13, part of this can be misunderstood, because we could think this, we could think, well, God does his part, and then I do my part, and maybe even some of you were just thinking that a moment ago, so, so God does his part, and then I do my part, and that's not what Paul is teaching in Philippians 2, Paul is saying, we work, but when we work, it is God who is working in us. He's not saying it's God's part, and then it's our part. So God does his part, then we do ours. He's saying that when we do our part, it is God who is working through us to accomplish that part. And that is crucial. That is crucial. It, comes, it goes back to grace. The only reason we're doing our part is because God is undergirding our part. God is motivating our part. He is the one from cover to cover. It is he that is our master's grace that is our master that is working out this part that we're doing. So it's God who is doing this part in us. The only way we can work, hear me, the only way we can work is if God is working in us. The only way we can work is if the work of God is evident in us. Not his part, then our part. Any part I bring to the table is because God is working in it. Let's go to Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4. Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4. It says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The picture is this. Your life, when you accept Christ, your life, and now begin this journey, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And who is your life? Christ is your life. Your life is not your own. Christ is your life. And based on who you are, Christ in you, this is who you listen to. 
And in light of this, we're going to go on in that same passage. In the light of you being in Christ, and Christ is your life, in light of that, that's verses 1 through 4, verse 5 says this, Paul, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. So Paul's saying, you're this new person, you're in Christ, but you still have some earthly things that are in you. But again, this is working out our salvation. It's God who is working through us. So when we put aside these earthly things that Paul's talking about, it is God that's working in us to accomplish this. So Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, uh, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The picture is that we are being renewed. We are being made righteous and it is God who is working through us as these acts are taking place as we are working as we are producing the effects of the indwelling of the spirit in our life you see where all that ties together it is God who is doing all of that and he who is renewing us he is making Christ your life and our life and my life this is what happens when we are born again it begins this transformation process So now we do all these things. We avoid anger. We avoid rape. We avoid impurity because of Christ in us. We are undoubtedly working here, but it is Christ in us that is working. Does that make sense? It's so key. So, so key. That's why Galatians 2.20, again, you've heard this verse recently. I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live is... In the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's this faith, again, that is the link. And I love that. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So I've crucified with Christ. It's it's not my desires. It's not my life, not my plans. It's God's life. It's Christ's life, Christ's plans. In this life I live in the flesh, because I'm still in the flesh, I live by faith in the one, in the gospel, in Jesus. So, such a beautiful, such a beautiful picture. We live by faith, we're saved by faith, we live by faith, and faith is the means by which I identify with a crucified Christ who's given me victory over sin on a day by day by day by day basis. It is this faith in Christ that who is working in us to give us victory over sin. Let me say a very small thing. Too many of us think we don't have much sin, and we all are filthy rags with lots of sin that needs to be eradicated from our lives. If you don't think there is lots to be getting rid of, then you aren't looking deep enough. We have hidden sin. My, myself, I met this past week with, um, with my accountability partner. And man, we're just confessing sin to each other. And, um, and it's like, I mean, we're pastors, guys. And, you know, he's sharing with me a struggle that he has. And, and we're praying about it. And I'm sharing a struggle that I got and, and, uh, and other, multiple struggles. And, and it's like, 
man, it just it helps me see that I just need God. I need this faith so, so much more than what I could ever imagine. Like, if I think I need God's faith this much, the reality is, is I need it that much. I just don't see it yet. Because we live in a good moral American, and you're a good moral person. Second Peter, let's go to Second Peter, verse, chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. He has given us everything we need for Him to work through us and to work out this salvation and see it to completion. I hope this picture is becoming more and more clear and more and more beautiful for you. And in light of this, let's go on again. In light of this, in the same passage, we're going to go on to verse 5 through 7. It says, For this very reason, for this very reason, since God has given us all that we need, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. It's not God's work and then our work. It's God's work enabling our work. So because God has given us all that we need, he works through us to make these changes, to work out our salvation, to be made righteous. This is the link. So in working out our salvation, so yes, I I understand faith is the link. I I, I understand it. But when you say faith is the link, what what do we mean? What what does Paul mean? Scripturally, what does it mean that we put faith? And how do we have faith in this? I think faith involves two things. Faith involves two things. One, number one, radical dependence on God's work in our lives. Radical dependence on God's work in our lives. It is faith. You are depending radically upon God's work in our lives. We are dependent on God to give us life in the initial part of our salvation. And we are dependent upon God to give us life in the journey of our salvation. Again, the same faith that saved us then is the same faith that sanctifies us now. Guys, just like when God opened our eyes at the point of salvation when we were born again, where He revealed our need, He changed our heart, He took us from darkness to light, just like He did at the point that we were saved, we need God to continually doing that in our lives now. We need God to open our eyes daily to our dependence on Him. Daily to our dependence on His grace. Guys, this is why so many of us lead very mellow, unsatisfying, unproductive Christian lives. It's because we do not radically seek dependence on Christ daily. Guys, we are not, we are not saved from self-sufficiency to live on self-sufficiency. 
We are saved from self-sufficiency to live in God-dependency. God-dependency. Why do you think Jesus was able to do what he did even to the point of bearing God's wrath? It's because he was not living self-sufficiency, self-sufficiently. He was living totally dependent in perfection, totally dependent upon his Father, God. Moment by moment, guys, moment by moment, we are dependent upon him. And this, this is, guys, this, this is how doing things, doing works, is not earning our salvation because the reality is anything we are doing is coming from God. It's coming from this radical dependence on God because God who is doing it in us. Constantly looking at God for him to supply me with the power for godliness in our thought lives, in our marriage, in our parenting, at work, with our friends, our thought lives, our actions, radical, constantly looking at God for him to supply me with the power for godliness. You say, what's that look like? means every moment you have, you ask God to give you the power to do what he's called you to do. And you ask God to remind you of that more often. You're saying, so you want me to drive down the road and like the whole time be asking God to give me power and to help me be dependent upon him? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That is, yes. That's, that's, that's not just okay. That's the way it should be. If we're going to be working on our salvation, then we're going to need to look at God. Guys, here's the, here's the beautiful thing. Our heart has been changed, and now it's being molded. Our heart has been changed initially, now it's being molded. And it's molded when we are radically dependent on God. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, or 2... Verse 12 through 13, God does two things that we talk about in this passage. I want to look at those. The first one is to will. So it says, for God, for God, um, sorry, I lost my place. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Man, there is so much wrapped up in those few there's just those few words. What is Paul talking about? Is Paul talking about God working and willing? Or what is he doing? For, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work. For, so it's God who works in you for you to work and for you to will in a way that brings him good pleasure. A.K.A. To do these works that he has prepared for you to do. So the first one is to will. He molds our hearts. Our heart is kind of the, the foundation, the, is the home place of, of our wills. And so the depth, our hearts, God is molding the, the depth of our genuine desires. Our will is born out of our desires. And so God goes in and he molds our desires and our attitude of faith should be that we are daily saying, I want what you want, to will what you will, to desire deeply what you desire deeply. 
So we're talking about radical dependence on God. It is us going daily, all the time, multiple times a day, saying, God, I want what you want. I want, I want to want what you want. I want to will what you will. I want to desire deeply what you desire deeply. Faith says this, guys. I am surrounded by all these pleasures of the world, and I need new appetites from you. Do you feel that in your daily life? Like, man, all this over here just sounds so good, and I enjoy it so much. This, 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 this money, or these, these games, or these sports, or this, uh, this, you know, this lust, or whatever it is that I just desire this so much, and but I know I need to desire that. Well, where do you begin? You begin by saying, God, I am radically dependent upon you. I, I want to want what you want and to will what you will. Please give me those desires. Father, work in me so that my will would match yours. It's not about, it's not about God, just make my will good enough so that it satisfies you. That's not... That's not good enough. Give me your will that mine would, that it would match, that it would be identical. Not, not would you just make it good enough so that I can get by. That misses the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of salvation. If you want to just get by, probably should check the initial change to will. And, and faith, this is, this is what happens. And you know, I need you by your grace to change my heart more and more. And we, we need him to mold our hearts and to transform our lives. And we need him to empower our lives. So, so to will, the second thing he does is he, he, he works in us so that to work or for us to act. And the only thing we can do, the only way we can do this or to work or act in a way that brings pleasure to God is by trusting God. I don't just, guys, here's the key. I don't just need, you don't just need God to change your desires, but to act according to those desires as well. This is what Paul's saying. You don't need God just to change your desires, but to act out those desires as well. And it's God who works. It's his grace that's undergirding it, that's motivating it to will and to work. So just to change your heart, change your desires, and to follow through and act according to those. He works in us to make those two things happen. So you give me a desire to serve the people around me. But I, not, I need you just to help me with that desire, but I need your help to actually do it. As you see where faith is fundamental to our day-by-day working out of our salvation, is a radical dependence on God to work in our lives. When faith is the radical dependence on God to work in our lives, the second facet comes in, and that is radical, number two, is radical devotion to God's will for our lives. Two parts of faith. Is radical dependence on God to work in our lives, and then radical devotion to God's will for our lives. Sounds like a cute little fun gospel, right? You mean I gotta like do more than just think about it? 
Or like, you got, I got to do more than just have a heart in the right place? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Radical devotion. Faith involves radical devotion to God's will for our lives. Paul says to every believer, work out your salvation. Work. Work diligently. Work hard. You say, well, that's legalism. No, you're a lazy Christian. It's not legalism. Paul says to work and work hard. This is the playing out of our Christian life. It is working out of your salvation that is undergirded by the grace of Jesus, of God that is in Jesus Christ. We work and we work hard as followers of Christ. Most of us don't experience the joy of our salvation because we're not being obedient to Christ. Jesus says that I find my joy in being obedient to the Father, which is what is best for me. He's working out our salvation. We're being obedient to God and we don't experience joy because we're lazy when it comes to our faith. We're lazy when it comes to radical dependence upon God to work in our lives and radical devotion to work hard with our salvation. I, I, it's just, I'm like, you know, it's just hitting that wall and bouncing right back in my face because I do not work hard as hard as I should. We see this in two places. And I love these verses. And we have to realize, again, this isn't an active thing. We are working out our salvation. Guys, you are not sanctified. You're not working out your salvation by spending hours on the Internet watching idle TV and participating in idle chatter and indulging in the pleasures of this world. This is not how we are sanctified. It happens through work. It happens through what God enables us to do. How many of us spend time wasting our time in idle chatter, watching idle TV, hours on the internet? Because that's not how we are sanctified. That is not working out our salvation. You're like, well, but I watch a Christian program. Well, yeah, maybe. But like the other 98% of the time, I'm not saying watching TV is bad or being on the internet is bad. Like, it's not what I'm saying. But if you look at your life and you wonder why it sucks, I mean, you're going to get out what you put in. You put in more gospel, more gospel is going to come out. You put in more filth, more filth is going to come out. 1 Corinthians first, chapter 15, verse 10. So this is Paul. We're talking about working diligently. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. It was not worthless. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Do you see the sandwich in this verse? It's grace in the beginning, it's work in the middle, and grace at the end. It's not his part, my part, his part. It is his part that, that Paul is emphasizing that's making his part possible. But literally, Paul is saying, it's grace, and I'm working, and it's grace, and it's grace that's filling, it's making this possible. Because he says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. But it was the grace of God that is in me. 
It wasn't me who was working. It was God who was working in me. And I hope that verse just pops in a different way than it ever has. And Paul is saying, I work hard. Paul gets up, man. How many times should we get up in the morning and we don't and spend time with God? How many times do we go days without reading our Bible? And we wonder why. Paul's working hard. Matter of fact, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. And this is by grace, by putting our faith in God. It's radical dependence, radical devotion to doing the will of God. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The mystery he's talking about is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. They're working hard. He's talking about working hard to bring them to maturity, striving, teaching them to maturity. Guys, that, I, that's what I want my heart to be toiling over more than anything, is to bring you guys to maturity. To bring you to maturity. How? Paul says, with all his energy that works within me. That's in verse 29. As I'm struggling and I do it with all of his energy, and he so powerfully works in me. This is the secret. We're working out our salvation by the power that God supplies. And we do this living by faith. Guys, when the battle we are fighting, and we're working hard, when the battle we are fighting comes to an end, and we will have the real holiness of God, not this sickly stuff, of talk, sissy words, and pretty thoughts, and a shallow gospel, is we will have real holiness, one that is a daring faith and works for Jesus Christ. I mean, you know how many churches and so-called Christians have been around that, well, how do you live in for Christ? Well, yeah, I read my Bible once a week and go to church. Are you working hard? Listen, this is more important than your job. This is more important than your kids. This is way more important than sports, than anything else in your life, is you working hard and working out your salvation. The rest of the stuff does not matter compared to this. Taking care of your family, working out your kids, that comes through this. This is primary, and the rest of them are secondary, miles behind. We need to avoid legalism in every way, thinking that we can earn our way to God. Guys, but we have the power of God. Listen, we have the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's living in us. That's living in us. That we, we just... We need to tap into this power by faith and working hard. Not talking about idle chatter and cute little Christian ideas. Cute little Christian ideas will get us to hell. 
We can't be lazy Christians. We are called to work out our salvation. Be diligent. Be disciplined. By the power of Him who works is evident in you. Constantly dependent. This is faith. This is why you hear all over the New Testament putting works and salvation together just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 7, verse 27, where He says, Not only all those who call the Lord, Lord, but those who, who do the will of my Father. It makes sense. And how do you do the will of your Father? How do we do the will of the Father? Day by day, constant dependence on Christ in you. This is the whole, guys, this is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. You ever wonder, like, what's the whole point? Jesus is giving this big sermon. That's a lot of cool things. And, and, and so what, what is the whole point? He says in Matthew 24, well, this is not the Sermon on the Mount, but in Matthew 20, 24, 12 through 13, it says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's very parallel with Matthew chapter 7, verse 27, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says again later, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Only he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Only he who stands firm can be saved. And how can we say that? Is Jesus saying that we have to earn our salvation? No, but when God is working in you, you will stand firm. It's not possible any other way. Romans 2.6 says this, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation distress for every human being who does evil. God will give to each person according to what they have done. Romans 11.22 says, Continuing kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. Continuing kindness. How, how about that for kindness in the church? Be kind to each other or you'll be cut off. How about that? The work of God in you will enable you to do what is required. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Colossians 1.22-23 says, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. If you continue in faith, how, how can God say this? How can God say this? It's because it is God at work in you, enabling you to persevere in life and doctrine. It is God who enables us to do this. It is God who's working to make this happen. It's not just the point, but the process as well. Saving faith is a radical dependence on all of God's work in you, and at the same time, because of His work in you, a radical devotion to all of God's will for you. We'll repeat that again. Saving faith is a radical dependence on all of God's work in you, and at the same time, because of His work in you, a radical devotion to all of God's will in or for your life. 
Not saying that you will be perfect, but this leads us to the third point. Three foundational truths that we see from Philippians. That grace undergirds and um, that faith is the link. And number three, that God purposes to complete our salvation for his glory. God purposes to complete our salvation for his glory. Working out salvation, meaning working out to completion. We can say this with confidence because it is God who is at work in me. And guys, God finishes what he starts. He has to. He has no option. Philippians 1.6. This is just the chapter right before chapter 2. Well, obviously, chapter 2, chapter 1. So, so right before the verse that we're in, Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, at the day we reach our destination. I will see it to completion. The destination is where the completion is reached. He will carry it on to completion. Well, here's what's cool. In this verse, he says to work out your salvation in what? Fear and trembling. Guys, this is so beautiful. I want you to to catch this and just eat on this for a while. We know that we still struggle with temptation and sin, right? I mean, we're still going to struggle even after hearing these glorious truths and how much more worthy Christ is and how he's turned our heart. We're still going to struggle with, with, with sin and temptation. And How do you work out your salvation? How do we do this? We know God's working through us. It's by grace. But we do it, and we do it with radical dependence on him and radical devotion to him. But we do this all, this is so beautiful, with fear and trembling. So the question is, what does fear and trembling mean? Three things. First thing is this. We need to be afraid. We need to be afraid. Some of us approach God like he's our homeboy. Uh, and I hate that t-shirt with a passion. Uh, Jesus is not our homeboy. He, he is our Savior. He's our God. He humbled himself to come to us, right? Um, we need to be afraid. But what kind of fear are we talking about here? Fear living in a way that dishonors God. We need to fear, listen to me, everybody. We need to fear living in a way that dishonors God. Why are we so flippant when it comes to living in a way that dishonors God? Every true follower of Christ in this room. We need to be terrified. Guys, we need to be terrified at the thought of bringing dishonor to God in your life. So you know like when we say um, when we say that we're going to do something and then we don't follow through with our commitment, you realize how much dishonor that brings to God? I'm reading a new book right now that... uh, that I'm going to do, uh, begin using for marriage counseling. And it talks about how marriage 
more so than any other picture, it is a resemblance. It is a picture of Christ and his covenant with the church. And so when a marriage is broken, it is reflecting something that is not true of Christ and his most sacred covenant with the church. We need to be terrified at the thought of bringing dishonor to God. This is the life of a true follower of Christ. This takes us back, guys. This fear takes us back to a moment-by-moment dependence on Christ. Fearful of bringing dishonor to God, so we moment-by-moment cling to dependence on Him. Guys, the reason is because you know that the moment you take the reins... You live in self-sufficiency and you are bound to fall. You know the only way you can stand against sin and temptation is if He provides the power to do it. So you stand moment by moment in dependence on God. You call out, I need you, I need you, I need you. And He is faithful and He provides. Cultivate, listen, cultivate this kind of dependency on God. Second thing, this fear and trembling is number two is being all because it is God who works at because it is God who is at work within you. In the Old Testament, I'm just going to fly through these real quick. There are many places where fear and trembling are coupled together. This is so beautiful. In Exodus 15, verse 16, he's talking about the people of God entering into the promised land and how the nations will fear and tremble. Guys, get this. When they see the work of God in the lives of his people, there will be fear and trembling. When they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, there will be fear and trembling from the other people when they see the work of God in the lives of his people. Isaiah 19, 16, the nations will fear and tremble at the uplifted hand of God. In Psalm chapter 2, the kings of the earth will, feel, will fear and tremble. And he's looking forward to Christ in that passage. In the Old Testament, when people saw the work of God, there was fear and trembling in their hearts. And my, how we can go days and days without any fear and trembling in our hearts. Guys, God's at work around us, but we're blind. And so we don't live in fear and trembling, and we're not afraid to dishonor God. We do it flippantly. Think about this. When you, you think about how in order to work out our salvation requires moment by moment utter dependence on God. As we do this, we see the work of God in our lives. So as we live by utter dependence moment by moment on God to work in our lives. Christianity now becomes a front row seat to the power of God, resulting in fear and trembling. Moment by moment, God is working, and then we see the effects of God, and it results in fear and trembling. The reality is, when we struggle over sin and we live moment by moment dependency, then we see His power to provide, and we see His victory. 
We look at what's going on and we see the power of God at work in our lives. And this revol- results in the fear and trembling. So when Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying work out your salvation because you're going to see the work of God in your life that's going to result in the fear and trembling that I'm telling you to work out your salvation. And so work out your salvation because or in the fact that God is going to be the one working in you. That's how we work out our salvation in fear and trembling because when we work our salvation, we see God's work in our lives and it results in fear and trembling. Such a beautiful picture. Third thing is this, be assured. We need to be afraid, we need to be in awe that God has worked within you. Number three, we need to be assured. God will finish what he had started. Paul says in Romans 13, 11, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The culmination of our salvation is coming. One pastor who once said, he wrote a bunch of hymns. He, he said, I he wrote it to other pastors. He said, I am ashamed of my dull and careless heart and of my slow and unprofitable course of life. The only problem is that his life was anything but dull, and his course was anything but unprofitable. He wrote, his name's uh, Horatius Bonart, and he wrote over 600 hymns and poems about the greatness of God, and he preached the gospel faithfully until he was 80 years old. The thing that gripped his heart when he looked at the church was the self-sufficiency of the church. We had so little desire for God and had so little dependence on God. And when we, when we began to, re- to depend upon ourselves, we will see God leave this place. When you begin to become dependent on yourself, you will see God leave you to your dependence. So little dependence. We need to have dependence. On God. So grace undergirds every facet of our salvation. And faith is the God ordained link between His work and our work. And God purposes to complete our salvation for His glory. Remember, we talked about, we went through what is the gospel. And the gospel is this the gospel is the just and gracious God of the looked upon, of the universe, looked upon hopelessly sinful people. And sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin and the resurrection so that all who have faith in him will be reconciled to God forever. And salvation begins. It's not just at a point in time. There is a point, but then it begins a process. And... If I could say one thing, man, we need to work hard at working out our salvation. Nothing else matters compared to that. And we work hard. But we work hard realizing that it is God who works in us to see it. And he sees it to completion. Guys, this idea, and I, I have stopped completely using these terms, eternal security and once saved, always saved. 
because they carry with them such bad baggage and misconceptions that once we're saved, we don't have to worry about a single thing because our, our thing is guaranteed. And I don't believe that that's what Scripture teaches. I believe Scripture teaches that, that once we are saved and we genuinely experience this conversion, we will work hard, and it is guaranteed, and we will reach heaven. But this idea that we just get saved and then the nothing else really matters... Is false. Jesus himself says, it's the, the one who does the will of my Father, but we know that it's God himself who guarantees that those of us who are genuinely saved will do the will of the Father. It doesn't mean we're going to do the will of the Father perfectly. We're not going to do it all the time, but we will do the will of the Father. We will see the effects of the indwelling of the Spirit in our life. We will bear fruit that is that is from the kind of tree that we are. My grandpa said, if I walk out and see lemons underneath the tree, I must assume it's a lemon tree. Same thing for us. If we are followers of Christ, we will bear fruit that is true to the kind of tree that we are. Let's pray. And we'll sing one more song and be dismissed. Father, thank you for... um, giving us a gospel that is not just um, that's not just about us saying a prayer but Father about a gospel that is that involves changing us and not just leaving us to our sinful selves but but leaving us to uh, to be changed to be molded for our righteousness to be made complete And God, I know that these verses make some of us Christians very uncomfortable because, because we felt so secure in our lack of effort in our faith. And so now that your word challenges us to actually do something about our faith, we want to rebel against the authority of God. And Father, please... Rip that unfaithfulness from our hearts. Father, help to change, or Father, not help, but Father, please change our desires and then give us the ability to act on those desires. And Father, as we worship, let us worship in light of a truth that we now know and we can sing to you. And Father, it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.